Welcome to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. We are informally debating issues that concern Zionists about life, culture, and politics in Israel. Okay, good afternoon to all of our listeners out there. We hope you are doing well today. We are joined by two very special panelists, Kalev Bendor. Kalev, how are you today? I'm good. How are you, Matthew? I'm very well, thank you. And Mike, how are you? All right, how are you doing? How are you doing? I'll do my best Brooklyn accent today. Um, please, so, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> please don't. I can do my Alabama later if you're, if you're very well behaved. So this afternoon, we are here to discuss the war in Ukraine. It has hit the headlines for the last year or so, the fact that there was a Russian invasion into Ukraine. And much of the world, international community, uh, the United States, several European Union countries, Great Britain, have provided military aid to the Ukrainians as they fight their war against the Russians. And Israel has been in an interesting position because they have refrained up to now from making a commitment to one side or the other, trying to sort of balance between, I guess, what you would call realpolitik and maybe an ideological position. I'm not sure our panelists will discuss whether that's a correct framing or not, or an accurate framing. And so we're going to discuss today whether Israel should be doing more in terms of aiding the Ukrainians, or if they're taking a good position by not taking too much of one side. Uh, and we're going to start with Kalev. So we are. Hello. So I am going to be arguing that actually Israeli policy is more or less reasonable in terms of how it's responding to the war between Russia and Ukraine. And to be honest, it feels less comfortable morally arguing that. But I do think there's a strong argument on a, on a kind of realpolitik, on a, on a pragmatic level, to argue that that is indeed the right policy. And, and before we, we get on to the policy, I think it's interesting that this current government, so, so, so the Netanyahu government and the previous government of, of Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid, disagreed on a lot of things. But if we take tone out, I think practically the policy has been more or less the same. Those six months or so when, when Lapid was prime minister, he was only more outspoken in terms of support for Ukraine. But practically, I think there's been quite a, a consistent policy between Bennett and Lapid and Netanyahu, which, which I think is interesting. We talk a lot about polarization of Israeli society and, and, and differences and arguments in terms of, of domestic and foreign policy. But I think it's fair to say that more or less there's been a consistent policy over the last year between two or, or, or three different administrations or, or prime ministers. I think that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is that on a humanitarian level, not a military level, but on a humanitarian level, Israel's actually done quite a lot. It set up field hospitals in Ukraine. It took in a large, relatively large number of Ukrainian refugees. There were other Ukrainians who were here illegally. Israel said they could basically stay. So we've got field hospitals, we've got refugees. And Israel's, I think, main issue, which it's, it's very much not, and I think we should just kind of open brackets, the Ukrainians are annoyed at the Israeli policy. And they are probably right to be annoyed. That doesn't mean that we're doing, you know, and, and Zelensky, who, who you know, I, I think is probably one of the most heroic Jews out there today, is super annoyed. He's, he's annoyed at Israel. He expected more. 
from his perspective. That doesn't mean from our perspective we are not doing the right thing. And I think where Israel primarily did not want to get involved was on was on the military aspect. If I remember Israel, I think Ukraine asked for a kind of Iron Dome. Israel did not want to, to, to give that. And there's some very good strategic reasons why Israel might not want to get militarily involved in the conflict. And, and the main one is connected to its, its relationship with Russia. Uh, whether we like it or not, Russia is a geographical neighbour to Israel. It's based in Syria. Syria, as people know, there's a, a, a very brutal civil war going on uh, with Assad and the Russians and uh, Hezbollah and Iran on one side and a variety of rebels on the other. And Israel, I think, needs good relations with Russia to try and prevent Iranian kind of establishing itself, overly establishing itself in Syria. We need good relations with Russia. And if we have bad relations with Russia, that has significant national security repercussions for us. And and however nice it might be to play the moral card of, you know, this is an illegal uh, military occupation and, um, you know, we all need to be on the side of, of justice and on right, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and that is an attractive argument, but nations also have a responsibility to, to think about themselves. And I also think it's arguable if, if we look at who is helping the Ukrainians, obviously the Biden administration is, is giving huge amounts of aid and, and the UK and Germany and Poland's very involved, etc. They're kind of doing it out of the kindness of their own hearts, but they are also doing it for strategic reasons. They do not want a kind of revanchist, aggressive Putin and an expanded Russian kind of neo-empire in Europe. It would be a disaster. And, and, and it's, it is for strategic reasons that those countries are doing what they're doing. And therefore, it is also for strategic reasons that Israel is doing what it's doing. So whereas I, I, I hear the moral reason, and I would kind of love Israel to be more engaged in kind of protecting Ukrainian territorial integrity, although I'd add uh, Eli Kern, the foreign minister, when he went to Ukraine, he did say, we support Ukrainian territorial integrity, etc. And we call for a peaceful resolution. I think ultimately, we need to be guided by strategic considerations, which in this case, mean maintaining decent and stable relations with Russia, which means sticking to the humanitarian aspects and not the military ones. Okay, thank you very much, Colour, for that very Interesting and concise summary of, all the, of many of the issues there. Mike is going to give us a rebuttal to that. Well, Khalif saved me a lot of time by stipulating that the moral choice would be to support Ukraine much more forthrightly, which I agree. I mean, I think when a nation is invaded and its land is taken over, uh, it's supporting it in self-defense is very important. But I would argue that strategically, I think it's also important. And I'm not, it's very easy for me to sit here and, you know, in a comfy chair in Ben's studio and opine, you know, what Israeli policymakers should make. Uh, I'm just talking. You also have the most comfortable chair out of all of us sitting here. Well, I have the oldest uh, seat to be comforted. So uh, I guess, uh, but the, the, the issue here is, and I, I, I recognize that there is such a thing as realpolitik and that sometimes you can't do everything you wish you could morally because we live in a real world. But I do think overall, err on the side of you do well when you do good. 
and that the moral choices will lead to ultimately better outcomes. Because all those arguments are speculative, that it would be dangerous for Israel. So Israel's giving humanitarian aid, not military aid, and it calls Iron Dome military. Well, that, that I don't understand. By the way, most of the Western countries started off with minimal aid because they also want a good relationship with Russia because Russia is an enormously powerful country with ties into China and Iran. And so for all sorts of reasons, everybody kind of... And then over time, the world powers have been ratcheting up, whether it's tanks, whether it's more powerful weaponry. America is now giving F-16s, all of it, step by step. Israel has remained frozen in its initial position. And that I do not understand. A. B. Why are we calling Iron Dome military and not humanitarian? In Israel, we call it humanitarian. We're protecting civilians from rocket fire. I don't think of that as strictly military. And I think giving that... Now, if we're worried that one side or the other is going to leak that proprietary technology, well, that says something interesting about our self-interest and what's going on. If we're worried about the Russians leaking it, that says something interesting about our relationship with Russia. And if they're worried about Russia leaking it to our enemies, so then Russia is an enemy. And if Russia's, if we have to be nice and have this fake nice relationship with Russia because they're going to help keep our enemies off our back like Iran, I'm not exactly sure who we're kidding here. Are you telling me that the Ayatollah will remain obedient to the Russians? I think the real reason with Russia is that when we strike at Iranian forces in Syria— We've made a deal with Russia. Just let it. Don't, don't, don't take action. Just stay out of it, which they do. That we, the, the term is deconflicted with the Russians. And we don't want to cross lines where what will conflict with Russia? Are we worried that Putin is going to start a war with Israel? Is that what we're worried about? Because I don't know if you guys noticed, he's stretched pretty thin in the Ukraine. And one of the things that happens to superpowers when they overreach, and I'm not saying Russia is for sure a superpower, they, they, they lose their ability to, to function on multiple fronts. America getting dragged down in Afghanistan and Iraq meant that it lost a lot of its influence in other countries, certainly in the Middle East, of other countries saying, well, I guess America's just weak. In other words, if we're worried about what might happen by causing tension with Russia down the road, that's speculative. I can make a very good and I think even convincing argument that that's not a concern that we should have. I do think it's a concern that that we're entering a world where you can take you can change borders through warfare. That's scary. And it's scary in the Middle East. I don't think nations in the free world are helping Ukraine because they are nice. I think they're very scared of going back to that. I think that the post-World War II world order is based on stopping countries from doing that. That's why America and 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 major world allies intervened when Iraq went into Kuwait. I think it is very clearly meant to dissuade China from going into Taiwan and changing that border. I think these things are of great strategic concern to Israel also. I am frequently asked by students the question, why does the world complain about us controlling the West Bank? We conquered in a war. Isn't anything you conquer in a war belong to you? And I have to explain to them, no, but they're confused about that because that's not something that we as Israelis champion <laughs> that we're again, we support the the world order of post World War II. That you don't change borders through warfare, and I think Israel being part of that fight would do a great deal to enhance Israel's identity and reputation throughout the world. And if we are meant to be a country that 
that stands for in the world community truth and justice and, and morality, then we have to be very careful in making these choices. If it's a coin flip, err on the side of morality, even in a real politic conversation. Okay. Thank you, Mike, for your, for your contribution. Kalev says he has something he'd like to say, but I definitely have questions for both of you. So, so, so what I'm going to hand you the baton for a second, Kalev, so and then I, I want to come to my questions. Is that, is it, there, there's another mm, phrase. Kalev thinks I'm fascinating. <laughs> the thing that's fascinating is there is another phrase, err on the side of, it's quite a famous phrase. Mm -hmm. And it's not morality. No. Matthew, what is it? Err on the side of? Caution, caution I believe. Err on the side of caution. Yeah. I, I, I guess we'll have a back and yeah, forth. Yeah, isn't that sad that we live in a society that says err on the side of caution there's and not err on the side of morality? There's a reason it's a well-known phrase. But I, I, uh, there's listen. a reason it's a well-known phrase, but I think, I think it's, I wish there was a better known phrase, err on the side of the moral choice. Or like we know, let's make a simpler one. We know the the right thing of, to do is the right thing to do. We know the thousands of people who, who listen to this. So I would not be surprised if err uh, on the side of morality becomes... Maybe even mm. a meme. You know, Maybe we could make t-shirts and then we could all wear those t-shirts when we come mm -hmm. to record next time. Okay, so Kalev, I have a, have a question for you. So obviously for any time that a country either sells or gives some type of financial aid, okay, it's going to cost them money, especially in the case, I'm, I'm assuming with Ukraine, it's a lot of it is giving aid as opposed to, or giving weaponry, weaponry and stuff like that, as opposed to it being purchased right that, that, yeah. that's my assumption i think generally speaking that's it costs what's the countries to contribute right. even if there is some even if there's some return mm -hmm. it costs a lot right so my question is we we're hearing about the strategic the strategic benefit of not upsetting the russians too much and why we need to be able to operate freely in syria and not allow iran to entrench in syria and on our borders and things like that and we were talking before we came on about <laughs> Jews and stereotypes. Do you think that we might be hiding behind that? Do you think the Israeli government might be hiding, hiding behind their strategic claims? Because they just don't want to give. They've got, they need their own weapons. They need their own financial needs for defense. Well, why give to somebody else? Do you think that this is something that's just uh, no, a No, you can make screen? a deal with the Americans on, on uh, releasing proprietary use of Iron Dome, things like that. I think there are ways to defray the cost. I don't think it's... Uh... You don't think it's a smokescreen? So one of the things that I would... I probably argue with with Mike over is you you said that you know upsetting the Russians is speculative. Yeah, he said I don't think it's speculative. I think we could. I no, no, no. I think they'll be upset. I think we could. I, I think, think that's. I think that's good. In other words, I'm arguing that you're you're arguing that the consequences of upsetting the Russians is a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not sure it is. I think being part of the team that bullies bullies is a good lesson for Putin. And if he's angry at Israel and he's angry at America and he's angry at Germany and he's angry at Poland and he's angry at everybody, okay, bullies get mad when there's pushback. And I'd like to be on that team. So I think, relating back to Matthew's point, I think there's there's a couple of other reasons that I think may be smokescreens. I think one of the reasons is about if Iron Dome would get passed on to yeah. Kind of the technology would get passed on to Iran. I mean, what would probably need to happen for that to happen is Russia would need to, I guess, physically capture yeah. areas yeah. where Ukraine is holding. Iron I think Dome, that's why they're worried and about. And they would need so because I think it's pretty clearly humanitarian. I think that's what they're worried about. Right. I so say that would be that would be one reason, which I'm not sure how realistic that is. I think mm -hmm. there's another official reason, which is there's Jews in Russia. And we don't want to affect that. And, and I'm not sure if that is a smokescreen mm -hmm. or not. I do think the strategic aspect of is how strong Russia is mm -hmm. 
is a super interesting question. Mm -hmm. We thought they were this big mm. regional power, but actually they're struggling to conquer, you know, small areas of territory. So I do think you could argue that actually Russia is not as powerful as people thought. You could also potentially argue that even if Russia has annoyed at us, Israel can still carry out what it needs yep. in Syria. I think those are... That's exactly what I'm arguing. Right. But then the issue is, is it worth the risk? As in, we, you know, need, in inverted commas, but we need Russia for... This is all about priorities, mm -hmm. okay? There's many countries in the world. There's NATO. There's many countries that could be helping Ukraine. There is a spectrum between doing absolutely nothing mm -hmm. and sending your own, you know, kind of, I'm giving extremes, doing absolutely zero to sending your own troops mm -hmm. to fight on the Ukrainian border. Mm -hmm. And somewhere in between that is giving military and giving tanks. And then a little bit further to the left is giving humanitarian aid. We're on the spectrum. We're just not as far as other people would like. And I think when you try and weigh up risks versus rewards, where the reward is being on the right side of history, and, and, and Mike would also argue, and protecting a post-Second World War kind of neoliberal world, which is important and protects Israel, on the one hand, and helping us to, as efficiently as possible, push back against the Iranians in Syria and not upset a very strong regional power who happened to be on our border on the other, I think it's a re I think Israel's current policy is within the realm of reasonability. Uh, what's a smokescreen and what's not is difficult to tell, but I think it's a reasonable. I think the current policy is certainly reasonable. Okay. Yeah, I don't have to argue that it's unreasonable to argue that it's wrong. I agree. I think reasonable people can disagree about what the right path forward is. Okay. I think it's within the realm of reason. Okay. Thank you for for that response, Kev. Uh, Mike, one of the one of the questions I would have then is. You made that interesting distinction between how Iron Dome is portrayed at home mm -hmm. in Israel and how it's portrayed um, as when, military aid to Ukraine. Right, when it, when it comes to giving it to somebody else. And you mm -hmm. both talked about this practical concern of the technology being stolen, given, right, w mm -hmm. whatever it may be. So my, my question, I guess, in, then is where would you put the line between what you would describe as humanitarian and military? And how do you think Israel navigates that oh i but but that that's a funny thing to ask me because i'm against maintaining that line right i'm for providing military aid full explicitly. out full out military look if you if you paid attention to to the nato countries at the beginning they were all talking about where do we draw the line mm -hmm. where are we're, we're willing to even help militarily but how do we do that in a way that doesn't cross the line and and get putin to launch nukes because he's a nuclear power and we don't want to start world war three what's the military line we're willing to cross every line they drew they have now crossed right all of them one after the other okay and now they're much further on and do you know something putin hasn't nuked anybody because it turns out that he really is a bully. And he thought he could get away with this easily and he thought the world wouldn't care. And he's not interested in, in dying in an explosion of retaliatory nuclear crossfire. It turns out he's a bully that when you push back, he backs down. There is a phrase for when a, when a rogue leader of state decides he's going to threaten everybody into submission and the free powers of the world decide to give in to what they want to prevent a worse thing. The A word? It is the A word. It's called appeasement. 
And what we've learned to... Oh, s- that A word. I thought you were talking about something else, Kalev. <laughs> okay. That, that's <laughs> to a, describe Putin. <laughs> turns out that's a strategically dangerous course that often leads to worse outcomes. Whereas if you stop the bully in his tracks, he starts looking at other ways. And, 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 I, and I do think, by the way, Putin in particular, and who the heck am I as a Putin analyst, he's not a good strategist or he wouldn't be here. He's a tactician. He pushes, he pushes. He invaded Ukraine in 2014, saw the world reaction. That's why he decided to invade again in 2022, because the world basically went like, me, you know, a few sanctions here, a few sanctions there. He's shocked by the outcome. And that's and the Western world, therefore, I would argue, has obviously Putin's responsible. He's the dictator in charge of Russia. But the Western world bears a degree of responsibility for appeasing him in 2014 for his occupation of the Crimea and claiming that the people in Crimea voted for him to be there after cynically sending in troops in uniform with their Russian insignias clearly torn off, saying they weren't Russian, and then a year later saying, no, I mean, of course, they were Russian forces that I sent into. He he played the West. And now the West is waking up. And, 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 and the price Israel is paying is in a world that says, hey, you guys say you're a democracy. I don't see any other democracies occupying a people for 50 years. And we're always saying, yeah, but you have to understand that every time we step out, of the community of free nation states, we are emboldening accusations that really Israel isn't about Western ideas of human rights and freedom and values and liberty and protecting peace. That's not what Israel's about. Israel's about self-interest. Sometimes that's a price you have to pay for security. So would you argue- And I, I, I would argue that I don't know that it's worth paying in this situation. So would you argue that appeasement itself is tactics, bad strategy, or it's immoral? Everything. Yeah, sure. Unless, unless, unless. In other words, I'm not. I'm not willing to take any strategy off the table. I. I'm not even willing to argue that Chamberlain in '38 did the absolutely wrong thing by appeasing Hitler because it gave the British time to build an army, which they didn't have in '38. '39 they had one, and uh, uh, Chamberlain put it together. In other words, as a stalling tactic, but telling the British people that I hold in my hand this document which guarantees peace in our time. He not only destroyed his political career, he created a, 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 a morale problem in the West that it took a Churchill to re-energize the British people to stand up to Nazi aggression. There were major people throughout the British government who Chamberlain had convinced, you don't fight Germany, you don't fight Nazis. And Chamberlain had to really work hard to get the, – the UK could have submitted to appease the invasion of France. There were people in the British government fighting for that. And Churchill pushed back. So, so these things are by degrees, and they're, I, I don't know what the exact, every little bit matters. Every pushback matters. And, and Israel is small, and there are plenty of NATO countries pushing back. But I think, I, I think it's heroic to, to put at risk your security to stand up for what's right. I would love Israel to be in that community rather than in the... Mm, community. Kyle, if you look like you have something you'd like no, to add. No, firstly, I, I, and I, I say this with all seriousness, I love the kind of larger analytic discussion. For those interested, the, the film, The Darkest Hour, firstly, yeah, that was a is, nice film. Is, it, it's, it's a brilliant film and it very much Not has... Not entirely accurate, but I, even its inaccuracies were getting at the themes of what was really going there's on. A, there's a debate in the cabinet, yeah, which, yeah, yeah. which I do think is accurate, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. where... Uh, Chamberlain and Halifax, mm-hmm. I guess, and just 
I mean, we're kind of going off topic, but it, it's interesting. It's also at a stage where... where all... I was more referring to Churchill riding the subway to talk to average Londoners. That <laughs> ah, never that, the, that, the that's, bit that's less accurate, yeah. That's silly. The, um... But, it, but it's, to, it's illustrative of feelings in the street using Hollywood drama. Right. And there's, there's British troops who are at Dunkirk, mm-hmm. and it, it looks like the army's about to be... I was going to say decimated, but but literally more than decimated is going to be destroyed. And at that stage, Halifax and Chamberlain are talking about, well, maybe it's, maybe, you know, we'll give up, we'll give up the colonies, but we'll keep Britain independent, whatever that yes. means. And, and it was, it was. Halifax super... is arguing that we err on the side of caution. And, and, and Churchill is arguing we err on the side of protecting liberty and democracy. He's making, he's making the argument of the Spartans at Thermopylae. We will stand, we will, we will block the road to prevent this giant coming in and swallowing up. We will fight them on the beaches. We will fight them in the air. Why does he get to do this? No, I well, want my well, Brooklyn accent. I, I don't I, understand. I did, I did want to say we've, we, we've, Racism. Had, we've had too many accents in so far on this. By the so. way, I, I'm not I'm not defending yeah, Churchill overall as a Mike, perfectly... I don't, I don't like, I don't like your, your comparisons because I can just say, well, Bar Kokhba was also defending, as in defending liberty is great, yeah. but if it's going to end... In defending liberty is great when you yeah. win. Yeah. Defending liberty when you lose and is and still great. Is heroic. It might be yeah, it's heroic, but it can also be catastrophic. As long as it's not catastrophic. So as long seems... as you're not putting on on the line. Yeah. And I, at some stage we will get back to the specific as long as you're not putting on the line the national existence. I don't know that you've argued to me that the threats to Israel would be existential for allying with NATO. So that seems to be the the, the root of the question. How far do those existential threats go? How I don't know that it... even in your in in the strongest I version don't... of your what could happen, no, I Israel's don't, I don't... wiped off the map. Correct. In other okay, words, but I don't think that, uh, that, is, is that is, shouldn't is, be that shouldn't be the line that we have like if if there's no threat of us being wiped right, off why'd the you map, bring it up i didn't bring it up you brought up Barkova. you brought up Cher- you brought up churchill right. and and britain getting churchill, invaded i mean look yeah. at churchill he but, literally risked the existential threat to the existence they, of great britain and they won it was a core national interest ukraine is not a core but they didn't know that in 1939 that they were going to win. And he put the existence of of Great Britain at risk. Israel's not putting its existence at risk and is still not being Churchillian. As Zelensky, you said this great Jew, often compared to Churchill for taking existential risks. I assumed he was going to flee and rule from exile a conquered, occupied Ukraine at the beginning because all the assessments were that the Russian military was going to roll them over. Well, they didn't. And Zelensky's Churchillian response is often commented on in exactly that terminology. Israel's being asked much less. Don't put your soldiers on the line. Help the Churchill do what he can. Lend lease the sucker like America did for the first few years of Churchill's. Lend lease, just freaking arm them from across the sea. Because America was the most powerful country that could have made a difference to Britain in the Second World War. Do you know do you know Israel is one of I don't know a few dozen we are still doing stuff. We're not European. Dear listener, pull out your phone and google the ranking of Israel as a a, a sales force of military weaponry throughout the world. We are a tiny, tiny country with, I think, like the 18th most powerful army on earth that is in the top 10 of arms sales. We punch way above our weight class. I understand we're a tiny country. I agree with you. But to argue that we're... Listen, if that's true, then Zelensky has no reason to be upset at us. Mike, I love... I love the... I love the... And I, again, 
and also I love the rhetoric. Yeah. I love the analysis. I love the Chichilian stuff. Yeah. Uh, obviously, appeasement now has a very, very bad thing. Yeah. Firstly, I would say that in Europe, there, there are there are not necessarily risks, but I think the European countries realise... <laughs> uh, they're, they, risk, they're risking freezing to death in the winter. Yes, exactly. And by the way, and this is something we haven't touched on, if there's a change of administration in 2024 in, in the US, yep. suddenly all of this changes, yep. as in the West is taking certain risks. Yes, much bigger how, risks than Israel. Um, I don't know about, they have much more on the line I don't than know Israel. About much bigger, I don't know about much bigger risks than Israel. I genuinely don't. I think the Europeans and the Russians now, sorry, the Europeans and the we're Americans- not, We're not heating ourselves in the winter from Russian oil. Who's we? Israel. Europe is. Europe is putting its energy sources no, on the line. we are trying to prevent Hezbollah getting more than its 150,000 rockets in Lebanon no, that I, the Iranians are trying to send. If you think that our relationship to Russia is going to stop our confrontation with Iran, then I think you're no, misreading you're, the, the, you're the strategic you're tea leaves. Mouths, our conflict you're with... You're talking about... I don't think I am. You're talking about nukes. No one's, no one's thinking about nukes. You're talking uh, about ending... Explicitly, everybody end, was talking about nukes at the beginning the of this relationship war. With, we're not going to um, end our relationship with... With Iran, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, uh, we're not gonna fix. Russians aren't gonna fix it, Deconf but they are help. They are they are helpful. And then the that, question is, they are not. Well, our issue is deconfliction with Russia in our fight with Iran. The the, the risk we are taking isn't that we're gonna de-escalate our conflict with Iran. I don't think any serious strategist thinks that our conflict with Iran will de-escalate. It's just that while we're fighting Iran in Syria, we don't want the Russians to give us a headache. That's the threat that I believe we're avoiding, okay. and so and so Israel. So that not getting a headache is is pretty important. I'm not disagree. I um, agreed with you that your position is reasonable. One second, we have. To I'm not saying it. it's unreasonable. I'm arguing against it. It doesn't mean I'm wrong because your position is reasonable. My we can both have reasonable positions. So, I am arguing that my position is also reasonable. Is argued by serious policy people. So I think both positions are, sorry, Matthew is, is waving his arms. Yeah, yeah. On the scale- I've been derelict on, to my timekeeping duty, but guys, yeah, we've got to finish this up. On the scale is being on the right side of history as a moral and value- And a global reputation, not to mention being moral just as its okay, own imperative. Okay, but you know what? Not that I'd necessarily want to compare- the Emiratis aren't doing much. The Saudis aren't. We, 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 we <laughs> That's the side we're on? That's who you're- We are a Middle Eastern country that need relations with the Americans yep. and with the Europeans yep. and with the Russians yep. and with the Chinese. Yep. And these are important geostrategic considerations. Yep. We're not doing absolutely nothing. Yep. We're just not doing as much as other people. Yep. And I think that bearing all of those things in mind and our unique relationship with Russia and yep. the problem of Iran, yep. that is a perfectly- reasonable position to take. I, I agree think that's that a it's great reasonable. place to I also end. think it's wrong. Thank you very much, you, 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 gentlemen. Not, yeah, that's... I'll, I'll, gi I'll give us a, a summary, but I will say thank you. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed the slightly extended episode from uh, from. How Norma. long is it? This was 34 or 35 okay. minutes. A little extended. A little five, a little but, extra. But I think... Get inspired by Darkest Hour. Yeah. You watch that yeah, as Movie well. recommendations, exactly. movie reviews. There you go. You don't getting, get that in regular podcasts. extra bang for your buck, You guys. get Mike's British accent. I mean, what more could you possibly want? Thank you very much for, uh, bo for both Mike of you. Mike did not use his British accent. <laughs> uh, thank you very much to you both for what was certainly a, uh, a fiery and spark-filled debate here this afternoon. Um, listeners, we hope you enjoyed hearing both sides of this very controversial and very complicated issue. And we wish you all a wonderful afternoon. And Mike, would you like to finish with your trademark? I, I can't think of a, a better way to spend my time. I, I, I love doing this. Bye-bye. 
You've been listening to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. In everything we do, we hope to connect our fellows to Israel as home, that our Massah fellows will feel at home in Israel and understand more about Israel and all of its diversity. We connect our fellows to Jewish peoplehood, to feel an affinity for Judaism and a sense of belonging to the Jewish people. The connection is active and meaningful in their lives. And finally, personal development. And in the case of this podcast, our goal is that you'll be able to use the tools and learning for reflection and future development in conversations about Israel and Judaism. If this episode is meaningful to you, please subscribe and share with somebody that you think it will be meaningful to.